2: Trans-Amazonica Highway cuts a muddy swath from one of the densest jungles in the world. The road is tough enough during the dry season, but during the rainy months, the local Brazilians consider it impassable. Rivers flood the road, threatening to swallow trucks whole. Soaked by constant downpours, the powdery soil turns to bottomless sludge, the consistency of porridge. If a truck is unfortunate enough to get stuck in the mire, it will often be abandoned there for months until dry conditions returned. In 1989, at the height of the rainy season, the various fanged and poisonous creatures of the Amazon witnessed a sight that locals thought to be so unlikely that there is an active betting market against its success. A convoy of sand yellow Land Rover 110s, their bodies painted with the flags of 14 different countries from around the globe, slogging through the muck. This was the 10th anniversary edition of the Camel Trophy, One of the few driving events in the world where a rain delay was not a problem, it was the whole point. The organizers had purposely picked the rainy season for the timing of the event, which was part competition, part expedition, and in their minds, the more difficult the conditions, the better. The drivers were amateurs selected from over a million applicants worldwide. The event was not quite a rally, not quite a race, not quite a series of technical challenges, It was an adventure nicknamed the Olympics of 4x4. On one particularly brutal day, the convoy of Land Rovers covered just 800 meters of distance. What made the Camel Trophy so iconic? How does it tell the story of Land Rovers' evolution as a company? And could it ever stage a comeback? Now showing in the past gas drive-in theater, Indiana Jones and the Range Rovers of the Lost Ark, the Temple of Room, and the Camel Crusade, the adventure Starts now.
3: Uh, yeah, I, I used to do a little thing that I called the Olympics of four by four, except it was at In and Out.
4: Yeah, animal style. <laughs> I have a heart condition. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Nolan, that's that should be your catchphrase: animal style. Animal uh, style.
2: <laughs> be kind. <laughs> animal style. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, uh, welcome to Past Gas. I am your host, Nolan, uh, joined by my other hosts. Uh, we got James Pumphrey. I eat pieces of <laughs> like you for breakfast. <laughs> Whoa! <laughs> uh, and Joe Weber. You eat pieces of <laughs>
3: <shit>. <laughs> No.
2: And today we are talking about the venerable Camel Trophy, a topic of which I have a uh, complicated view of, I would say. I... I've got opinions on it.
3: Yeah. Uh, It seems like similar to um, Cannonball a little bit, like a bunch of rich white guys patting themselves on the back for being brave, but it's really just like,
4: we're here to prove everyone wrong. (laughs) It's like, no, everyone is on your side. Uh, (laughs) Yeah. The world is literally yours.
2: Yeah. (laughs) Stop trying to pwn people with your hobby. When I was a kid, you know, you'd watch National Geographic and I remember that Land Rovers would always be like the expedition vehicles of every program you'd watch, right? Um, But
3: it's always the uh, camera car for Top Gear.
2: I always
4: think of them as like the UN
2: vehicles too. UN vehicles as well. Yes. Uh, Quite capable. I mean, obviously very capable cars. They were chosen for a reason. The queen
3: drives one. The queen of England drives Land Rovers.
2: (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> um I think like all the like the expeditions like the National Geographic the UN you know just being like the official car or one of an unofficial car of royalty you know are like all unintentional marketing you know not it's not it's free advertising right Yeah Camel Trophy is the opposite this was like an explicitly uh orchestrated marketing event that also was kind of a race but not really there were points awarded but it like didn't really matter if you won because you're really there to have like an adventure of a lifetime while also trashing local roads, it seems like. We'll get into that <laughs> a little later. Um We
4: saw we went to four by Far Festival, which oh, turned yeah. out to be uh, a yeah a big <laughs> farce <laughs> uh it wasn't a real festival that people bought tickets to even though they build it build it like that
2: yeah yeah let's let's talk about this real quick this was before quarantine right this was a few months before mm-hmm. shutdown or lockdown yeah correct? we got
4: an email from uh a marketing agent he was like we have a bunch of free tickets to this four by far festival put on by land rover and like it was the, and, it was being- in,
3: it was the same place that they throw coachella yeah it was,
2: yeah in, yeah in coachella um And you guys showed up. You guys showed up, and what did you see, Joe?
4: Well, we realized really early on that it was just, uh, we just had driven two and a half hours to go to a Land Rover dealership that was out (laughs) in the desert. But the coolest part was they had set up a little course for you to test the new Land Rover Defenders on. And that was actually really cool.
3: Yeah. And, uh,. Anderson Pock played. That's right.
2: What? They had Anderson Pock. I I didn't go, but like I remember seeing the lineup, being like, "What?"
3: And the Growlers. Wait, who, it was like a decent yeah. lineup. Well, it was like us and then the, like thirty other the people. The lead sales guy at a bunch <laughs> yeah. of Land Rover dealerships, and they were all like, they were like, Anderson, what? <laughs> like it was just like it was like somebody our age. Like it was it, the lineup was like so like thirties white dude playlist uh and and then like perfect for us, yeah, all these like sixty year old dudes were like pre- free tacos, I guess it was very strange. is very is Anderson
2: pock related to tupac <laughs> <laughs> looks like it, but
4: we did see one of the original camel trophy mm-hmm. uh defenders there, and it was really cool. I have a picture, Bridget, can you put that up right here? <laughs> <laughs>
2: That's right. So this was just a roundabout way of getting to the point. Uh, Camel Trophy cars are sick. And uh, I did actually find a couple of them for sale. And we're going to get into why uh, a different kind of corporate fun made these cars so cool. In the early 1980s, the concept of adventure was having a moment. The Indiana Jones trilogy had debuted in 1981, making exploration and khaki Cool for kids and adults around the world once more. Beyond pop culture, the world was feeling like an increasingly international place. There's a reason why We Are the World was a hit song in 1985. Globalization was a massive economic force, revolutionized by advances in transportation and technology. Through the 80s and 90s, international events like the fall of the Berlin Wall and the advent of the internet and increased global wealth were all part of a slew of forces that were changing humanity for better or for worse. In some ways, adventure stories were the perfect solution. On one hand, an acknowledgement of an international future, and on the other, a nostalgic look backwards into the past, a desire for meaning amongst the ruins of lost civilizations and ancient ways of life that were getting left behind.
4: I feel like this same kind of thing happened in like the 1920s when Mm -hmm. like Egyptian culture got really big and like there's just like waves of, you know, global globalization.
2: For sure, and that's where like through the 30s and 40s were the the rise of like the adventure serial um, comics, you know, which Mm. uh, would later influence Influence uh, George Lucas and Steven Spielberg when they made Indiana Jones. Cars weren't immune from the globalization trend either. In the 1960s, the big three American companies controlled 93% of the market. Today, that number is less than half, around 45%. By the 80s, car companies increasingly wanted to be seen as international brands with global reach, and their advertising often reflected that. The same principle applied to other global... Sorry, loud exhaust. Straight, straight pipe VQ. That same principle applied to another global industry, tobacco. Dude, you're
4: like a car whisperer.
2: I think I just live in a neighborhood where everyone has straight piped VQs. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, straight piped VQ is is a pretty safe bet. Although the Camel Trophy is synonymous with Land Rovers, the event started not with the British car company, but with R.J. Reynolds, a tobacco company. Just like cars, cigarettes were international too. And one of R.J. Reynolds's brands, Camel Cigarettes, was looking for ways to reach markets around the world. The first Camel trophy in 1980 didn't actually involve Land Rovers at all.
4: You know, I think it's pretty messed up that Ryan Reynolds hasn't acknowledged that his products kill millions of people a year.
2: Hey, whoa, whoa, whoa. We can't piss off R.R., uh, Mint Mobile... Proud sponsor of Pass Gas. Uh, let's <laughs> oh, b- let's be careful. <laughs> okay, Daddy, Re- Daddy
3: Ryan. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, no bits about, uh, about Daddy Ryan. Off
2: limits. Da- Daddy Ry Right, we're sorry.
3: <laughs> the Camel Trophy was conceived in the smoke-filled offices of the West Germany Division of the R.J. Reynolds Tobacco Company, the owners of the Camel Cigarette brand. Reynolds put Andreas Bender, a 27-year-old West German hired by Camel, to put on a promotional event. The goal was simple, even if the task itself was monumental. Three teams of West Germans would drive nearly 1,000 miles through the Amazon jungle. As with future Camel trophies, the participants were contest winners. All expenses were paid and they were required to be amateur drivers. Many of the facts of the first edition of the event have been lost to history. What's for sure is that instead of Land Rovers, the three teams drove Ford-engined Jeep CJs. (laughs) Part of the lore is that these Jeeps were rented from a local Hertz dealership, (laughs) which is unverified but kind of hilarious if you imagine the teams returning the Jeeps in partially destroyed condition. Although the Camel Trophy is a competitive event, it's neither a race nor a rally. It's an adventure expedition which had different conditions for winning throughout its two-decade existence. The most clearly competitive part of the event are special tasks, <laughs> uh, stuff like balancing on top of a teeter totter made of logs, uh, <laughs> oriente- orienteering,
4: yeah,
3: orienteering challenges and car maintenance. Uh, <laughs> I guess it's because they're driving Land Rovers. yeah (laughs) (laughs) we'll we'll just make maintenance part of it (laughs) (laughs) it's a challenge (laughs) (laughs) yeah the most iconic part of the camel trophy the actual travel through the wilderness is not competitive at all in fact it's deeply collaborative and the entire convoy is expected to work together to help navigate the treacherous conditions it's like kind of like survivor it sounds like
2: yeah let's let's just lay this out early in the episode in like simple terms okay so like they have a start point there's an endpoint, uh, and like on their route, there are like certain stations that they'll get to every couple of days where they'll have one of these special tasks that they have to do. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like a reality show. Somewhat. Yeah. 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 Like Survivor, like you said. Um, yeah. So not somewhat. <laughs> so you'd say uh,
3: like I'm spot on.
2: I would say you're spot Great on. I would observation, say that you're, James. that you're genius. That <laughs> Thank you. Uh, Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> um it can just be a little I don't know. I was a little confused at first and then when I watched I watched this 90 minute documentary which we'll probably get into more later when we talk about the era in which it was made that that helped clear it up.
3: But in between the challenges, there's some really rough terrain and everyone sort of like helps each other traverse the rivers and 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 stuff like that. So I think that is pretty cool.
2: It's awesome. And the fact that these people were amateurs, like not professional drivers, actually makes it so much more impressive because these guys will like the fact that it was like all marketing basically doesn't take away from the fact that like Land Rover really believed that their product could get people out of like these extremely dire situations. Like there was never like an easy button to like. It, there was no, like, eject button to get people out of, like, their, when their the cars Amazon? like literally up to its, like, windowsill in mud, you know? Yeah. Like, they had to dig those cars out.
3: Yeah, they were just smoking cigarettes the whole time. <laughs>
2: yeah.
4: I do want, I I mm-hmm. watched just a little bit of that documentary, but I want one of those Camel Trophy expedition outfits. Yeah, just looking
2: on Etsy I know, this. everyone had, like, the same outfits, which I thought was hilarious. <laughs> anyway, sorry, let's keep going.
3: <laughs> that first year, the plan was to drive across the Trans-Amazonica, starting on the Atlantic coast in the city of Bellum. And I apologize for that pronunciation. They would then wind their way westward towards the middle of the South American continent. The first issue was not the rain, but the opposite of rain. <laughs> dust. <laughs> <laughs> with the crew members being forced to wear masks. wonder what that's like to stop their throats getting clogged up with dirt. The road was jagged with cracks sending gear flying out of the Jeeps that had to go get picked up. The drivers would show their ability to improvise and what would become a theme for the Camel Trophy. At one point, cartons of cigarettes were used to pay for ferry passage. <laughs> 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 and they were also a handy giveaway to deal with local policemen along the route who expected bribes. A gold rush in the town of Maraba. Uh, had led to the town being packed with tens of thousands of prospective miners, desperate to find beds to sleep in. Two of the mechanics found rooms at a local brothel.
2: I'm sure they did.
3: Yeah, I'm sure they did. (laughs) Safe to say that more sleeping quarters were not the only thing being paid for on the trip. The (laughs) the expedition's doctor, one Jurgen Ashoff, had to give one of the photojournalists a shot of penicillin to treat a nasty case of gonorrhea he'd come down with. Damn. By the end of the journey, the Jeeps were spent. One had actually caught fire at one point.
2: Not surprising.
3: The supports for the soft tops had sheared off from the brutally bumpy roads, leaving the drivers and their gear fully exposed to the elements. The drivers had failed to finish the route, traveling about 850 of the 1,000-mile road. Still, their exploits had attracted international media attention. The winners were the team of Klaus Karthner, Dirks, and Uwe Macho. Camel was delighted at the wave of press, and it was immediately decided that the Camel Trophy would become an annual event.
2: Hey man, we didn't even make it, and someone got gonorrhea, and uh, our cars come on fire. Let's do it again. <laughs>
3: Let's do it yeah. again. <laughs> I just think it's so fun. Like I just picture like like you win this contest, right? That was probably like in a magazine. <laughs> yeah. Right. And then they're For like, sure. you show up and there's just like these Jeeps full of cigarettes. <laughs> 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 just full of like a carton of cigarettes is this big, you know? Yeah. And just like full of cigarettes. And then they're like, all right, go drive through that jungle.
4: And you're yeah. Like, some West okay. German guy, some West German guys like this is your supplies, but it's also
2: your, your money, so. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> All right,
4: 1981.
2: For the Camel Trophy to continue, Camel cigarettes needed help in the form of an automotive partner to provide vehicles for the expeditions instead of renting them from Hertz. <laughs> there's no way that the, like, they, Hertz gets the cars back, and uh, there's no way that they um, that yeah. didn't pass inspection. You Did know? you
4: guys put a Ford engine in this Jeep? <laughs> <laughs>
2: Anyway, they're looking for a partner. The potential benefits for the auto company were obvious. If you look up earned media in a marketing textbook, the Camel Trophy could fill a whole chapter. Land Rover was a natural fit. James, can you explain earned media real quick?
3: Um, We use it a lot in meetings, but I'm not quite sure I'm a <laughs> authority. We should get Hannah in here to explain earned media. I mean, doesn't it mean like cool by association? Essentially,
2: this is from a uh, a blog on HubSpot uh, earned media or earned content is any material written about you or your business that you haven't paid for or created yourself. Yeah. So like if uh, one of our videos going viral and then like the sponsorship in it, you know, um, that'd be like earned media. That would be an example of earned media, I think.
3: Yeah. Like when Nolan ranked all the Fast and Furious cars and it was on hype beast.
2: Exactly. Perfect. So, uh, yeah, Uh, Land Rover was a natural fit. Uh, The brand had its beginnings in 1878 as the Rover Company, producing both motorcycles and luxury cars. After converting to producing plane and tank engines in World War II, the company adopted the Land Rover marquee in 1948 and began producing four-wheel drive off-road vehicles with a boxed frame, vehicles that would become the brand's trademark and a popular choice for rural farmers in the United Kingdom. So you could you could hose them out. You hose out all the sheep shit. Yeah.
4: People think they're like super high end. Oh, they are high end now, but they did start out as just like completely utilitarian British farmer vehicles. Yeah,
2: more of like a tractor than a passenger car. Yeah. In that way.
4: Yeah, yeah. The only passengers is my sheeps and all they
3: sheep, Hey,
2: uh, get in the back, sheeps. Get in the back, <laughs> sheeps. Oh, got to take this
3: sheep down the road to the doctor's office. <laughs> she's got
2: worms rover was absorbed by british leyland which failed in the 1970s consequently but land rover would live on by 1978 land rover became its own company by now the company had built much of its brand on a reputation for enabling adventure and exploration before the camel trophy the best example is probably the 1972 british Trans America expedition a publicity stunt where a team of drivers and mechanics started in Alaska and drove south 18,000 miles to the southern tip of Argentina. Sounds like a Gears and Gasoline uh, series. <laughs> uh, the trip only took 96 days. That's pretty amazing. And the image of the Navy Blue Rovers kitted out with auxiliary lights and a giant aluminum ladder braces designed to bridge soft terrain did a great job deal to bolster the brand. Probably earn them some earned media as well in newspapers and all that. Mm. Uh, That's pretty good. 18,000 miles in 96
4: days is 187.5 miles per day. That's pretty good.
2: Not bad. Yeah, it's
3: really good considering a lot of that is like through a river. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. <laughs> the 1981 Camel Trophy, the first with Land Rovers, would take place in Sumatra, an island of Indonesia known for its tropical terrain dangerous wildlife, and active volcanoes.
4: And great single-origin coffee. Yeah,
3: (laughs) I was about to say, they got great coffee in Sumatra.
2: It was conceived as a scaled-down, tropical island version of the Trans-America's Expedition, with the team starting in the town of Beristegui, if you're from Sumatra, I'm sorry, in the north of the island and traveling a thousand miles to the southern end of the island. In the course of the journey, also crossing from the northern hemisphere to the southern hemisphere. For this event, Land Rover provided a platoon of Range Rover V8 three doors painted in the iconic sand yellow of the Camel brand. That's called fusion, dude. Brand fusion.
4: There are so many cool Range Rover special editions from the 80s.
2: And I'm never going to own any of them. (laughs) According to one account, the event was, quote,
3: Morked by extreme heat, sloppy mud, massive river crossings, makeshift bridges, Huge quagmires And lots and lots Of (laughs) mesquitees
2: Hey huge quagmires Uh, That reminds me of the time In 1999 (laughs) when I went to go See the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade And got run over by a family guy balloon
4: Nice (laughs) Gotta throw Tommy a bone Once in a while (laughs) (laughs)
2: <laughs> the roster had been expanded to five teams, but once again, they were all West German. Karen Stoppa and Annalise Waldorf would be the first female team in the event's history, although it was Christian Swoboda and Nuth Mentel who came away with the trophy. Those are some names right there. Yeah, yeah.
3: <laughs> well, I shouldn't have done a British accent then. I should have done a German one. My name is Nuth Mentel. <laughs> what? North Mental is my name. <laughs> the 1982 event saw the identity of the Camel Trophy receive its key component in the form of international teams. In addition to West Germany, there are now two teams apiece from Holland, Italy, and the United Estados. Once again, the location was Southeast Asia, specifically the island of New Guinea. The 1982 expedition is perhaps best known for a photograph that would become among the most iconic of the Camel Trophy. It's that of a mud-spattered Camel Trophy Range Rover parked in what appears to be a clearing in a jungle village. Atop the rover's hood and roof rack sit and stand about a dozen New Guinea natives coated in white mud and naked except for loincloths, as well as enormous clay masks with comically cartoonish faces and contorted expressions. These are the Asaro Mudmen, who according to legend were defeated by an enemy tribe and forced to flee into the Asaro River. When they finally emerged and attempted to flee, they were coated in mud, terrifying their enemies. An incredible story. Only a decade later, it would turn out that none of it was true.
4: Damn it! Yeah.
3: (laughs) Danish anthropologist, Ton Otto, published a paper on the Mudmen that indicated that the costumes, as well as the origin story that were with it, had been invented whole cloth by the Asaro villagers in the 1950s as a performance for visiting tourists. (laughs) Awesome. The true story is even more interesting than the myth and points out some uncomfortable themes about the Camel Trophy Mm. and of adventure tourism in general. For one, the countries these expeditions were entering were real places with real history, often troubled history, but often they served as more of a backdrop for the competitors, predominantly white men dressed in the same safari clothing, as their colonial predecessors what does it say that the locals were savvy enough to realize what these men wanted from them was a playful narrative designed for a photo op
2: i just like watching the documentary or documentary very generous term for this hour and a half film (laughs) Um, was
3: it more of a cigarette
2: commercial no i didn't actually see anyone smoking any cigarettes the whole time Um, the film opens (laughs) uh there's like a really flashy like one minute intro of just Land Rovers like doing cool mm. shit. and then like the British the British narrator's like our story our story begins in nineteen eighty nine. And then it's just like a <laughs> immediately like they're in Brazil for that year. And then it's just like a, a close up of like a girl's ass. Sick. Yeah. Uh no, I mean sick. Dick. <laughs> uh, that's where poop uh, comes out. Yeah. That's where the poop <laughs> lives. But the, the, that was like kind of something I was thinking about the whole time is like they're by the, by the 80s, like late 80s and early 90s, they had like 30 of these trucks going places and uh-huh. like they're just tearing through the countryside, like these national parks and shit. I'm just imagining like if they did like a, a camel trophy of the US and they're just like tearing through Yosemite or like any other place where we're like hey man don't do that like that'd be like such you'd be such an asshole but they're like going through these countries just like all right we gotta like make a bridge to get make sure our land rover can cross this all right
4: looks like there's a village in the way of our (laughs) land rovers (laughs) let's turn their houses into bridges
2: it's just like it's of course they did like do go that far but like it's you know it was a bit much i think
4: yeah
3: Uh, Yeah, so the Camel Trophy was a fantasy organized by two corporations to sell their products. The myth building of the Mud Men was the same as the myth building of Camel and Land Rover. Both myths catered to affluent Western consumers. Only one story was cooked up in the offices of R.J. Reynolds while the other was invented on the banks of the Asaro River.
2: It's also pretty fun, not fun, it's pretty just like that film is such a a product of its time in one of them. They're in Borneo. Um, and, uh, they're like going, of course, up like some trail. And then like uh, the narration is like a local woman stops to, to gaze upon the machines that she's never seen. Something like that. And it's just like, (laughs) dude, like she's probably seen a car before. Yeah. You know,
4: I mean, Borneo is where the Sultan of Brunei lives, right?
2: Close by. That's right.
4: Yeah, so she's seen a lot of cars. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Spurred on by images, is, uh 1983 now. We're heading into 1983. Spurred on by images of the Asara Mudmen and the sand yellow rovers navigating rivers and mud, the Camel Trophy made its first trip to Africa in 1983. The event was held in Zaire, then under the power of one of history's most infamous dictators, Mobutu Sese Seko. In the 90s, the country would descend into war, but for now, Mobutu hoped the international headlines the Camel Trophy attracted would bring some glory to his economically challenged country. This Camel Trophy marked the first and only appearance of the Series 3 Land Rovers. They were equipped with standard 2.25 liter diesel engines, but non-standard were the hot climate kits, included 8-bladed fans, dual fan belts, and oil cooler and cooling fan shrouds.
4: This is the Land Rover from Ace Ventura. Oh, getting hot in these rhinos. <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so this is definitely like the older style Land Rover. We're not to the Defender yet. That's cool though, I'll dig that. I'd drive that for about a mile until it broke down, am I right guys? <laughs>
3: nice dude, yeah,
4: yeah. Uh, yes.
3: You are right. (laughs) That's
4: (laughs) really nice. We all own Land Rovers and we all know how reliable they are. Not really.
3: (laughs) Nice, Joe.
2: Nice. (laughs) All right. Meanwhile, back in Zaire, the country's poor condition was shocking to the Camel Trophy travelers. The expedition's doctor administered free medical aid at villages along the route in what would become a Camel Trophy tradition. That's pretty cool. The infrastructure was so poor that it was a struggle at times to find adequate fuel for the convoy. And at one point, the teams had to clear out an overgrown dirt runway so a supply plane could land and deliver additional diesel. Disaster struck when a journalist tipped over an oil stove near one of the support trucks. The fire spread to the jerry cans of fuel causing them to explode and the vehicle to be engulfed in a massive eruption of flames. Amazingly, though all the aluminum had melted off the body, the engine still started uh, and everyone, you know, th- cig- the cigarettes that were inside also uh, ignited <laughs> and made everyone chill out for a little bit. You know? <laughs> the Camel Trophy continued into the late 80s. Although there were exceptions, it was most frequently held in tropical regions defined by thick jungle, huh, rushing kick. rivers, and plenty of mud. Oh it was, yeah. <laughs> it was Camel cigarettes itself that pushed for events to be held in these settings, which they felt fit best with the overall theming of Camel's brand. Yeah, nothing says camel, an animal that lives in the desert, like a <laughs> dense jungle.
4: <laughs> I think I think its resilience is their theme. Cuz yeah, camels like- are very resilient. Okay.
2: Mm-hmm. Okay. I'd like to see a camel thrive in a jungle though. Look, I'm no I'm no <laughs> zoologist. I'm at best a casual oceanographer. I'm a, I'm a fan of of water, but I don't think a camel's going to do very well. What's he going to eat?
3: You know? Uh, <laughs> cigarettes? What is What do camels eat in the desert? Um
2: hay? <laughs> I have no idea, dude. I love this show is really like I love our our our, our approximations and half knowledge on a variety of subjects. Yeah, it gets us yeah. into trouble sometimes. Yeah,
3: yeah. Good stuff. Yeah. We know just enough to sound <laughs> real dumb. And,
2: <laughs> <laughs> for sure. Uh, anyway, whatever Camel was doing, it was working. Nearly every year, the number of applicants grew, attracted by print ads and billboards that simultaneously advertised cigarettes while also soliciting applications for the event. You can bet your <gasps> ass that I would have entered this contest for sure. Uh, the number I'm very unlucky though so I probably wouldn't have won the number of teams grew as well including more and more countries the tougher the challenges the more memorable the images
3: we'll be right back with more of this story but first a word from our sponsors
2: Most of the challenges were often dictated by weather. In Borneo of 1985, the entire convoy of Land Rover 90s, so named for their 90-inch wheelbase, mind you, gentlemen, was confronted by a road that had been fully washed out by weeks of torrential downpour. A helicopter was called in to lift each truck one by one across the chasm that had appeared, allowing the adventure to continue. One day on this trip, the convoy advanced only 300 meters from the previous day. That's like three football pitches. <laughs> there were so many rivers to traverse that the convoy started to refer to their rovers as yellow submarines. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Carlos Probst and Tito Rosenberg of Brazil kept spirits high by blasting Samba music out of their Land Rover, winning the Team Spirit Award, which was an o- a that, that was another award. You could win um you could win the overall thing, but you could also win Team Spirit. Isn't that what Counts the most. Um, let's see. <laughs> yeah, I, I remember from the doc the Borneo. I mentioned that they they were talking about the like native population or the locals, but then uh, this section particularly though, it's like they're trying to go down a trail that's like literally like three feet wide in these Land Rovers, which are not three feet wide, and they have they had to like machete their way through this brush. Like, they what I'm saying is the organizers were not f-ing around. Yeah. You know? But as we'll see later, they did start to fuck around a little bit, in my opinion. (laughs) The next year in 1986, held in the Australian Outback, was a relative breeze with largely favorable dry conditions. Although it was the longest Camel Trophy to date, coming in at 2,000 miles, the teams were about to cover 150 miles a day. 1987 saw a historical first with the events in the African island of Madagascar, featuring the first-ever vehicular traversal of the island from end to end. Range Rovers were used for the event, and the timing was perfect for Land Rover's marketing efforts. After decades on the gray market in the United States, the vehicles were now being officially sold stateside for the first time in the British company's history. The event itself was a bit of a fiasco, though, with the teams critiquing the lack of clarity as far as the special tasks were and how points would be awarded. It led to the team of amateur volunteers who had been administering the event to be be replaced with professional marshals in future contests. Signals that the Camel Trophy's days of penicillin shots and cigarette carton bribes were now a distant memory. Unless you got herpes, because that stuff sticks around. Hey. Oh, nice. You're giggity, listening. Giggity, giggity. You're listening to Donnie and the Germ on 98.8, <laughs> The Ride. We got, <laughs> we got Kansas coming up, followed by Boston. You know, I'm trying to give you some peace of mind. <laughs> We've been around longer than herpes. <laughs> uh,
3: For the 10th anniversary of the Camel Trophy, the event returned to where it had all started. The Amazon jungle of Brazil.
2: Ah, this is where the documentary started with the butt.
3: Things had come a long way since, the three, <laughs> since three teams of West Germans had traversed the wilderness and rented Jeeps. For 1989, when uh, Taylor Swift was born, over a million applicants submitted entries from around the world. That's amazing. Yeah, she was born in 1989. <laughs> Pretty amazing. That is. Wow. Teams were selected from 14 countries. Nearly enough for an Animaniacs song. In alphabetical order, they were Argentina, Belgium, Brazil, the Canary Islands, France, West Germany, Holland, Italy, Japan, Spain, Switzerland, Turkey, the United Kingdom, and Yugoslavia. Uh, As we mentioned at the top of the podcast, this event was purposefully held at the height of Amazon's rainy season. And many consider it to have been the most grueling camel trophy of all time. Contestants averaged four hours of sleep, spending their days and nights constantly towing one another's Land Rovers out of mud holes.
2: Been there.
4: (laughs) Get your toe out of my mud hole. (laughs) (laughs) they were driving
3: the land rover 110 so named for their 110 inch wheelbase
2: i mean that follows because the the 90s were uh Mm -hmm. 90 inch Mm -hmm. wheelbase and Mm -hmm. the 110s are 110 so
3: the victors were british brothers bob and joe ives the first british victory which attracted massive media attention they received enormous trophies shaped like golden pyramids Given the British origins of Land Rover, it felt a bit like Greece winning the Olympics. The event and the flurry of press that followed is widely considered the peak of the Camel Trophy. As the expedition entered the 90s, many felt a bit of the magic was lost. 1990 saw a couple of major changes to the Camel Trophy. For one, drivers were now competing in the Land Rover Discovery. The Disco. Disco Stew. Disco (laughs) Stew. Disco Stew. Uh, Land Rover had just launched the new model, also rebranding the Land Rover 90s and 110s as the Defender.
4: Hell yeah. Do you know they call those cars those names because the wheelbase is as long as a a Defender in the NFL?
2: That's pretty interesting.
4: That's how they measure it. The length of that car? Yeah. It's a very short car.
3: (laughs) (laughs) The Discovery featured the 200 TDI turbo diesel fuel injected motor
4: this was the first mass produced uh fuel injected turbo diesel engine interesting 1990 Hmm.
3: 1990 was also notable for hosting the first event in the northern hemisphere the expedition would travel through the frozen tundra of siberia it was the first international motorsport event held beyond the so-called Iron Curtain of the USSR, with promotional versions of the Sand Yellow cars driving through the Red Square of Moscow leading up to the event.
2: Yeah, this was super interesting. Um, I, I mean, Russia has such like a complicated history as it is, but it, like they're like teeing themselves up to like get back into like the world state, like almost c- to curry favor with like the capitalist West in that way. Like, hey, like we're let's bring these companies into our country to show that we're cool with them. I guess I don't know.
3: It's, yeah, it seems it like reeks of like PR.
2: Yeah, yeah. And uh, they didn't go. They didn't go through like frozen countryside for this one. Um, it was like during the summer, but still, Siberia looks pretty cool. Uh, I wouldn't mind going there in the summer. In nineteen
3: ninety one, the event returned to Africa for an expedition through Tanzania and Burundi. An estimated half a million curious locals lined the streets of Dar es Salaam to watch the convoy depart on its journey. In the following years, the Camel Trophy was held in Guyana, Malaysia, Argentina, where the temperatures ranged from negative four degrees Fahrenheit in the Andes to over 100 degrees in the desert.
2: Yeah. So for the for Argentina, they almost did like the same route that Top Gear did where they just went inland to the ocean. Mm -hmm. Uh, Land Rover or the Camel Trophy did that first super like it it is cliche I think at this point since Top Gear has done it but that's something that I would like to try someday it's like it's such a cool journey you start in this dense jungle you're cutting through mud you're going through rivers and then all of a sudden you have to like go up a mountain and uh, they stopped at like the top of an active volcano I would
3: love to play around with some lava
2: (laughs) yeah just like hold it in your hands
3: no like drop a Coke can
2: in it. That'd be cool.
3: (laughs) By now, the Camel Trophy, although still only open to amateur entry, had a series of intense qualifiers for those who wanted to compete. For instance, if you were an American wanting to compete in the 1995 expedition, you would have to be one of the 10 candidates accepted for the U.S. Camel Trophy trials held in Hollister, California. Among those accepted were a Navy SEAL that had served in the underwater demolition team. Wow. Bridget probably knows a little bit about UDT. that. So but Dan is the opposite of underwater demolition. He's underwater uh instructor. Putting together putting together. <laughs> 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 uh, it also included two marathon runners. All the candidates also had extensive off-road and endurance driving experience. If you performed well and placed in the top four, you would then qualify to advance to the international selection trails held in Europe. Win there amongst your country and you could only then represent it at the Camel Trophy
2: itself. Who's hmm. got the time? Yeah, man. Like this kind of, uh, I don't like this as much. I, I like the, uh-uh. the the win, a <laughs> you know, get a golden ticket out of a pack of Camel, uh, camel <laughs> yeah. Blues, you know, kind of aspect of it.
3: Reflecting the more humanitarian-minded global trends of the 90s, the Camel Trophy started to pivot somewhat from emphasizing exoticism to a more humanitarian slant. Hmm. In several years, the teams constructed research stations dedicated to conservation and took on aid projects along their routes.
2: Okay. Are we started out, you know, this started out very uh, Teddy Roosevelt. Now it's becoming a little more Jimmy Carter.
4: I like how they're like, hey, we're, we're going to help you with your gonorrhea. Here's a pack of yeah it feels like a weird Mm -hmm. message to send
3: yeah yeah here's a a malaria vaccine um and a lifetime supply of unfiltered
4: camels here's (laughs) three dollar off coupons
3: (laughs) Uh, camel was becoming less interested in the automotive component of the race and more interested in tying the trophy to adventure sports like biking. And kayaking that were becoming massively popular by the mid-90s. Oh, my God. They're cigarettes. (laughs) They had also launched the Camel Trophy clothing brand, which they called Camel Trophy Adventure Wear, uh, which produced Patagonia-type gear, mostly in safari colors, as well as consumer goods like watches and belts. The brand also had a dual purpose. It allowed the clothing brand to sponsor events where tobacco sponsorship had been disallowed.
4: Ah, sneaky. Mm.
3: This was an increasing trend around the world as government regulators began to realize the negative health impact of these cigarette companies' massive marketing efforts. The brand's logo clearly by design was almost indistinguishable from the Campbell cigarettes
2: logo this like this era of the camel trophy uh, is like the most mid 90s thing ever this transition is like so strange because like all of a sudden they have matching mountain bikes and it's hilarious to watch like they had to drive a, like i think they did an event in colorado i think at a ski resort and they had to drive the land rovers up this mountain and then they could choose to, like kayak snowboard ski or mountain bike down a section And just to see, like, 30 people on mountain bikes trying to hit this trail at the same time is, like, hilarious. But also, (laughs) like, it's it's just so confusing. I don't know. I just feel like the 90s were like that, you know? Mm -hmm. Like, action sports are cool. Let's see if we can just shoehorn this into any way we can. Yeah. The
3: 1998 Camel Trophy held in Tierra del Fuego, which stands for House of Fire?
4: Earth, Tiaras. Earth of Earth. Fire, Earth. or Land. Dang. The 1998
3: Camel Trophy held in Tierra del Fuego was the last year of Land Rover's participation. The year also marked a bookend in the brand's metamorphosis that had begun in 1990. They had launched the Freelander, the brand's first SUV and the first Land Rover with a unibody construction. Instead of a trip in a convoy, there was no shared route for the teams. Instead, they were encouraged to roam earning points by visiting a set of 200-plus checkpoints spread around South America. The relatively lightweight Freelanders performed well, described by participants as fun, fast, and agile. (laughs) Ooh. It looks like a
4: CRV. Yeah.
3: It's like a CUV.
2: Yeah, I don't really like the Freelander compared to the Defender. Mm -hmm. Yeah.
3: It was often the support vehicle discoveries that got stuck on obstacles and had to be towed, but of course, that begs the question. You're driving around in a little subcompact SUV and all your gear is loaded into a Discovery support vehicle behind you. You're kind of like a kid whose job it is to open doors while someone's moving heavy furniture.
2: Boom. Dang. What a diss. I also want to point out, like, the set of 200 plus checkpoints that we mentioned are all er- Arby's. They were, every single <laughs> one was an Arby's. No, but like, James or Joe, one of you earlier in the episode, you mentioned how it's like almost like a reality show or like Survivor. Like it was like a Survivor style competition where you have to stop at all these different uh, challenge points along your route. This is where like Survivor came out a year before this last uh, running of it. And I think they took a lot of inspiration from the show because what they had to do, they had these GPS coordinates that they had loaded into like their GPS device and they would have to, like, drive to a location. And usually, like, it was impassable by car. So, they'd have to get out of the car and go to someplace like a, tr- a big old tree or, like, a waterfall out in the middle of nowhere. And the Land Rover organizers ha- would have placed, like, this little plate on the tree which had all these different numbers on it. Okay? And they were just, like, randomly dispersed, printed on there. And the competitors would place their plate onto this, uh, onto this little plate that has been placed. Okay? And... To prove that they had been to this location, how their their play oriented onto the challenge point would reveal which number it is. And, of course, oh. the Camel Trophy organizers had the predetermined codes, basically, for that prove that they had been there. It seems needlessly complicated to do this, though, compared to like how the competition used to be run.
4: Yeah. It's like, let's drive from this point to that point, and then next year it's like, let's do all this – garbage all this weird mountain biking stuff and, yeah mountain and biking
2: stuff exactly uh so and in the comments of this uh film on youtube like everybody's trashing on this these like these last couple of years because they're like wow they really lost their way there's like dedicated fans for camel trophy uh mostly land rover fans of course but uh i have i, I have to agree with them this is corny we, as hell we call them landies over here <laughs> discos and defenders
3: We'll be right back with more of this story. But first, a word from our sponsors.
5: You can host the best backyard barbecue. When you find a professional on Angie to make your backyard the best around. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside. Repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app
0: which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. The 1999
2: Camel Trophy had been planned for Peru, but the event was abruptly canceled when Land Rover withdrew. In a statement, Rover Marketing Director Martin Runnicles said, quote, We have enjoyed a unique relationship with the Camel Trophy event for almost two decades, and it has played a major role in sustaining the image of Land Rover as the manufacturer of the best 4x4s in the world. However, with the changing character of the event, it will no longer provide us with an active demonstration of Land Rover's brand essence. We wish Camel Trophy every success with their new format, As for Land Rover, future activities will concentrate on our customer base with the emphasis very much on rugged off-road adventure.
4: Yeah, it doesn't make much sense for a car company to stay in this competition that's less focused on cars and more focused on, you know.
2: On being like a Legends of the Hidden Temple kind of thing. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, yeah. they changed it so much that the thing that made it cool no longer wanted to be involved. Mm Mm-hmm. What was left unsaid was that an association with a tobacco company was no longer desirable for an automotive brand like Land Rover. Mm -hmm. As international laws regulating advertising took hold, even workarounds like Camel Trophy clothing were increasingly unworkable since their parent company was still R.J. Reynolds, a tobacco manufacturer. Daddy Ryan. Yeah, that's right. (laughs) What is Ryan Reynolds' middle name? Anyway. Ryan Ryan, Ryan Reynolds. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but it's spelled different, though. Yeah. Oh, uh, I see. It's like R I A N, like Ryan Johnson. Mm-hmm. Okay, cool. It's impossible to know what conversations took place in the Land Rover boardroom, but it's safe to say they saw the regulations being written on the wall and withdrew from the event before the issue was forced. Probably a smart move. It was part of a wave of these kinds of deals ending. The most Prominent being the end of the Winston Cup in 2003 over in NASCAR. By the way, we are planning a whole episode on the relationship of tobacco companies in racing, so be on the lookout for that in the near future. For its part, Camel Trophy came back for one more year of adventure in 2000. The new millennium, baby. Y2K. The 2000 event held in the islands of Tonga and Samoa went in a totally different direction. Instead of Land Rovers, the event returned with rigid, inflatable boats or rib boats. Mmm, rib,
4: boat of ribs sounds rib. so good right now. A big
2: Would old boat re- full of ribs. <laughs> Ooh. Oh, yeah. Ooh. On land, however, Land Rover Defender pickups were still used as support vehicles. The event generated some memorable imagery of a convoy of sand yellow boats skimming over the Pacific, but Camel's attempt to pivot was a failure, Baked into the Camel Trophy's DNA was the legend of the mighty Land Rover and ribs were no replacement no matter how juicy or delicious. (laughs) And thus, 2000 was the last year of Camel Trophy. How do you define the Camel Trophy? Was it the adventure of a lifetime? The chance for participants and audience alike to escape from reality and enter a world of epic challenges and accomplishment? Or was it little more than an Indiana Jones-themed billboard, a rolling photo op designed for the purpose of selling cars and cigarettes, the two great polluters of our planet and our bodies, respectively? Along the way, the Camel Trophy had tracked the progression of Land Rover from a company that produced utility vehicles to one that built luxury SUVs. Although the company's DNA had become defined in the Amazon, safe to say that its soul now resides in the enclaves of Beverly Hills and Dubai. It's part of the reason why such an event feels impossible in today's landscape. Still, the spirit of Camel Trophy is undeniable. The Defenders, Discoveries, and Freelanders that drove in the Expeditions are now collector's items that are highly sought after. Although, just a quick note, I'm not, I don't sure, I'm not sure if I'd want to buy one of these things, considering mm-hmm. that a lot of them like rolled over and got beaten up and uh, had to be repaired on the side of the road. However, yeah, flood you know, damage... Uh, enthusiasts inspired by Camel Trophy have organized their own adventure events around the globe, keeping the dream of exploration alive. Even now that the Camel Trophy is long gone, it's the images that stay with us. A hulking sand-yellow rover nearly submerged in muddy waters traversing an Amazonian river. The convoy winding along a subarctic road in the dark Siberian night. The top rows of auxiliary lights blazing a path of soft yellow light through the wilderness. Vehicles mired in mud getting winched forward inch by inch as crews leaned off windows like a sailboat, fighting for every pound of leverage. The flags of the drivers, respective countries, flapping proudly from the front left corners of their hoods. Whether it's a tribesman or a corporation, we're a species that thrives on creating mythology for ourselves. We seem to need these stories to help us understand ourselves as well. As globalization has made the whole world feel connected, we still have that urge to blaze a trail and create a new legend for ourselves. The Camel Trophy, for all its commercialism, gave people hope and excitement, or at least something to watch. And by the way, don't smoke.
3: And don't buy a, an old Land Rover.
4: No.
2: That would also be bad for your mental health, I assume. Do blaze
4: trails, don't blaze cigarettes. Yeah, <laughs> nice. Nice.
3: That being said, Land Rover is a cool company. They make really cool cars. They have a really rich history. And if you want to learn more about them, check out uh, the episode of Up to Speed on Land Rover. Yeah, On our Donut Media YouTube channel. Joe
4: wrote that one. Yeah, it was a fun one to write. Learned a lot. Uh, I think Bridget helped work on that one.
2: Yeah. Nice. This episode really makes me want to go like... I want to go overlanding. I want to, I want to get an off-roader and go camping. You know, I want to, I want, I want to have that adventure that we talked about, you know,
3: Nolan, you're going to get all the overlanding and adventure that you can handle next Ooh. season on Hilo. Ooh.
2: Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much for watching or listening to Pass gas however you consume this show. Uh, we always love doing it and let
4: us know if you have like a crazy story that we should cover because we are we always listen to our fans and we always read those comments
2: follow my lovely co-hosts and production team at their social media you got at James Pumphrey at Joe G. Weber uh, you got at Thomas Ouellette and at Bridget in a Box she's got a lot of Volkswagens uh, follow me at Nolan J. Sykes. Follow Donut Media, all that stuff at Donut Media. You know the drill. Tell someone about the show. Be kind. Take care of one another. Take care if, of your shapes. If you're
4: trying to quit smoking, we, me and James have both been there. Go and breathe fresh air outside for five minutes, and that want will disappear.
3: Or do what I did and just have a heart attack.
2: <laughs> <laughs> uh, see you next time.